So the Lionesses are obviously on international break in Spain at the moment. And the big story that's come out of that last week was that Georgia Stanway lost a suitcase and thus didn't have any boots. Yes. It was just quite funny the way that Serena didn't know about this and she found out in the press conference. I think Georgia Stanway said that the big lesson that she'd learned was to put her boots in her hand luggage to avoid this. Yeah. Sensible advice. It's quite important to have your boots as a footballer, isn't it? But I thought, like, it's not a particularly stupid mistake to make, but I thought to make Georgia Stanway feel better, because I'm sure she's listening, I would just regale the listeners with some tales of some stupid things that I've done recently. Okay. I didn't I, I didn't realise we were going to have to use the entire podcast for the opening banter section. I, I absolutely asked for that. walked into that, I you? walked into that. So the first stupid thing that I managed to do was to break our back door lock by unlocking it from the outside when there was already a key in it on the other side. Yes. And you were really stressed because you were fitting the floor in our dining room. So I decided to make you weak even better by breaking the back door and making you go to B&Q to buy a new lock mechanism to replace it. And you also managed to break a different key on the same set in the same motion it was pretty and then on friday when i was getting ready to go into the office um i didn't sleep very well because our cat has currently got a cone on this is a long story but our cat's currently wearing a cone she keeps bumping into stuff in the middle of the night and waking me up so i didn't sleep very well so i wanted to make a coffee to take with me in the car and long story short i put my travel mug in the microwave to give it a quick warm up before i went out the door and it literally did one rotation and fell over yes. and there was coffee everywhere. It was a, a veritable, when, when you sent me the voice note saying, oh, I've dropped some coffee. I was expecting, you know, a few splashes of coffee and I'd just mop them up. But it was at, it was a, a veritable lake underneath the, the wheel bit of the, uh, the microwave. It's yeah, pretty it impressive. Was, it, it was, was a, all the coffee. You it had, was a full travel mug of yes. coffee. And it was... And it was all in the microwave. No, a lot of it was on the side and I I cleaned it up, but the only way to get the rest of the coffee out of the microwave was going to be to tip it into the sink. And I was was like, I needed to get it out of the door. So it was, yeah. Yeah. And then in in the process of all of this happening, I drove all the way to work and realised I'd forgotten to put deodorant on. So then I had to go to the shop and get some deodorant so that I didn't, you know, offend people. I didn't offend people with my smell because I probably smelled of coffee as well. Yeah, it's the worst things to smell of. Yeah, so if you are listening, Georgia, I hope that makes you feel better. But I think what you should take away from this is that you did something a bit silly and then you got to go and be England captain and put in a really good performance, whereas I just had to sort of get on with my life. Yeah, and I had to clean it up. So... And Matt had to clean up the coffee out of the microwave. So all in all, I think generally in life, you're winning. She's doing okay. Hello, welcome back to the Why Was She podcast. I'm Charlie Parks, as usual, and I'm here with Matt Clough, as usual also. I am still me, as as normal, yeah. Great, that's always good to know. How are you, Matt? I'm good, I'm good. I, we, that's we're, the incorrect answer. We're, we're reeling currently, so we're recording on Monday, um, the England under-23s have have played today and as is often the case with football we've gone from elation to pure dejection in about five minutes because we finally got to see Leicester's very own Shannon O'Brien take the field for the under 23s we didn't get to see it because there was no live stream but we we got to understand it it had happened and she within about 10 minutes of coming on had to go off having injured her ankle we're going to the Leicester versus Chelsea match at the weekend. We were in Leicester yesterday for an un unfootball reason and spent a good bulk of the day saying, this time next week we'll be there and I think they've got a really good chance and 
you know, they're playing really well and all the pieces are falling together and now... The dream's in tatters. The dream's in tatters. I still think they'll play pretty well. Um, well but it's, we'll get uh, on to that. But we... It's devastating. But you did get a tweet from Shannon uh, O'Brien's dad saying he doesn't think she'll play. So, I mean, actually, that's our first ever exclusive on the podcast. Well, yeah, but, I mean, don't come to us for news because we released this about six days after we recorded. Yeah, and so... And it'll be um, like a week later. Presumably, sure... the, the news will be out by that point. But, yeah, but... For the record, we got told within about five minutes of the match ending by Shannon O'Brien's dad. So, you know, breaking news here. Thanks, John O'Brien. And I hope yeah. John O'Brien's wrong, obviously, but... Don't get your injury news from us. Anyway, following on from last week's episode, where we talked about the other eight, part one. So we talked about Villa, Brighton, Bristol and Everton. Uh, we're going to complete that series. Of the other mini-series of the other eight, we're talking about uh, the remaining four. So Leicester, Liverpool, Spurs and West Ham, in case you lost track or didn't know. I, I have lost track several times. I've, I, it took me about 20 minutes to write a tweet promoting last week's episode, just because I couldn't remember who we talked about. No offence to those teams. That's but I, I, I do feel like the, the four we have today are more memorable, and I am biased, obviously, in one wow. case. But Well, yeah, so obviously... We make no secret of the fact that we are Leicester fans on this podcast, so we are going to try and rein ourselves in a little bit on the Leicester section, Yeah. but apologies in advance if we do go on a bit, and I will in the tweet or whatever, or the episode description maybe, put a little timestamp in so that you know if you're like sick of the Leicester chat, you can skip to Liverpool at this timestamp, but it caused some slack. Yeah, I think I certainly from my stats angle, my tedious numbers angle, I've tried to be fairly brief on Leicester because I know Charlie is is all all in on the vibes yeah we'll kick off then we'll just go we'll get it going and we'll talk about so yeah just to remind you from last week we're just talking about the other eight and we're talking about a bit of stats bit of sort of recent history touching on the tactics and key players a little tiny bit and just maybe like prospects for the the rest of this season and going into next season yeah just just sort of where we feel like they are trying to back generally kind of just taking a bit of a, a temperature check of the teams and then also diving into the stats to see if what we're saying is kind of backed up or if it's not a vibe check as the kids say yes matt do you want to kick us off with leicester yes i do as charlie said already we are we are leicester fans i think we're biased I think we've both been really impressed with how the team has evolved over the course of this season. Obviously, they had this this lightning start and then went on this incredible run where they didn't win a game for about seven matches and also developed this incredible ability to throw away leads. So they led against Arsenal, they led against Brighton, uh, they led against West Ham and they lost to Arsenal, obviously, in quite spectacular fashion. They drew both the Brighton and West Ham games. And so there was a lot of kind of questions about where they were going as a team and then we saw them in their first match back against Aston Villa and they changed tactics at half time and it, nothing really knitted together and they obviously lost that you know they, they played okay but it, it all felt a little bit kind of we just need to find a result from somewhere to um, to just stave off relegation and then reassess in the summer however since then they've been on a fantastic run 
they brought in some some really exciting players in January. I think you know I, I I'd say in general I, I don't think there's a, a club in the WSL who's made as many impactful signings this in this most recent window as Leicester. I think you've got you've got the two Japanese players Mamiki and Takarada who are both basically ever present now and have really you know shown a tremendous amount of quality. I mean just just to touch on their style as well. I think one of the things, and again, try not to be biased here. This is all backed up with numbers, but they 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 have a real identity when they play. So you know, a lot of listeners will remember the the game against Arsenal at home, which was just after Beth Mead had come back from her injury. Leicester were tuned up at half time. They're looking great, and then basically, rather than doing what I think most teams would have done, and arguably what most sensible managers would have said to do, would be go into a, a very deep low block and just try and hold on to the 2-0 lead they didn't do that they kept playing the way they wanted to play in the end it cost them pretty badly they lost 6-2 so um, we mentioned uh, PPDA which is passes per defensive action uh, last week which effectively the lower the number is the better the team is at pressing the other team Leicester's PPDA is the third best in the WSL behind only Arsenal and Man United. They're level with Chelsea. And that kind of just goes to show their their philosophy there is, I think, particularly in the WSL where, as we've touched on in previous episodes, there is this question about competitiveness and you've kind of got these four teams and it kind of feels like sometimes that the other eight teams are just digging in and trying to hold on to draws against these other teams. I do think Leicester are an outlier. They're showing a lot more endeavour to just go forward and play and and basically you know dictate games on their terms rather than have them dictated to them they've also they've registered the most interceptions the most tackles won basically if you like sort of you know Jurgen Klopp's Gengen pressing Liverpool style I think Leicester are probably the closest we've got to that in the WSL they've got the second highest XG outside of the top four teams they're the joint highest scorers outside the top four teams they do I think have the second worst defense by XG against just of, of any team in the WSL. However, a caveat there is the 6-2 game against Arsenal, which we mentioned before. The Arsenal actually underperformed their XG against uh, in that game. They scored six goals, and basically, by the XG model, they should have scored more. So that's kind of throwing all of Leicester's stats for the season out. If you exclude that one outlier game, they're actually you know generally pretty defensively solid. And I think, again, we would both say particularly since uh, since the turn of the year and adding a couple of extra players they've and having players come back from injury like CJ Bott they they look much more solid and they've got arguably two of the best goalkeepers uh, in the WSL competing uh, for one spot as well which is always a nice problem to have for sure yeah just before we I will get on to my thoughts and you mentioned the the inception stat and I just wanted to to sort of give a bit of a shout out to at Staterino on Twitter um, he posts some loads of stats every day and just like really interesting stats about the WSL and uh, quite timely I think he tweeted last night some stats about the interceptions which I think you had already noted down but he just tweeted them in a very nice visual sort of way yes for me stupid me to uh, to digest but you like yeah, it because so, he uses the little fox emoji because he loses the little fox emoji so I saw the fox emoji on there and I was like um, so yeah Julie Tebow and Sophie Howard have have registered the most interceptions per 90 in the WSL and then Courtney Nevin was in sixth yep. and Courtney Nevin isn't getting as much game time now so 
that's pretty positive really yeah and i thought that speaks to very much like what you said you know we're, we're looking to win the ball early to press force mistakes from force mistakes yes, which then leads to interceptions yeah yeah so i think that's definitely it's definitely feeling more positive and i think you know you mentioned that arsenal game and some other games and i don't necessarily think it's a because I think we spoke about it in the in the last episode, you can lose a game on tactics, but you can't win on, on tactics alone. And and it, sometimes it just comes down to quality. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think we've got a quality problem. I think in some of those examples, the tactics haven't quite been right. Yeah, yeah. But equally, I think, as you've mentioned, Mamiki and Takarada, I think they've been absolute game changers. And like you say, I don't think there's another signing in the WSL other than maybe Emily Fox at Arsenal, mm-hmm. who has made, well, both of them obviously, double signing, made such a noticeable impact on the style of play and what we've been able to do. Yeah. Because they've brought more technical passing. They've brought, the, the midfield is much tighter because another thing that we saw in that Arsenal game was that there was just a lot of sloppy passes being given away in midfield. And if you, you know, if you can't keep the ball in midfield you know in front of Arsenal then they're going to punish you yeah because they've got that quality so I think you know the fact that Takarada can really hold up the ball and Willie Kirk famously said she if you gave her a ball in a phone box you'd struggle to get it off her yeah and she's just that real presence in midfield and she's doing that defensive job incredibly but she's also able to come forward and attack as well scores against Bristol City yeah her taking that position as that holding midfielder, the defensive sort of role, has freed up other players like Sam Turney and Janice Kamen to be more attacking yeah. and drive forward. And even in the example of like the Bristol game, defenders driving forward as well. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, the second goal actually, which Takarada scored yeah. in the end. The second goal though was Josie Green, who's a, who was playing centre back in the box, taking on defenders, yeah. and then cuts it back to Whelan, and then she has a shot, and Takarada sort of gets yeah, it over sort the line, bundles it in, yeah. I think with Takarada, it's as much what she frees up other players to do as what she does, which is also incredible. Yeah. And then obviously Mamiki's just really good technically. Yeah. Really, just extra, just adding an extra little bit of something to the attack. Yeah, I think she's just got a bit of an X factor, hasn't she? She's she's sure. quite unpredictable. She can go to the byline. She can cut inside. She can shoot from range. Every time we've seen her, she seems to pull off about eight different dummies during a match. So I, I think she she's just. She's one of those players who I think, you know, no matter what's going on in the game or where she kind of finds herself as she sort of floats around a little bit, she just knows where the ball is, where her teammates are, where the space is. And it's, yeah, it's it's one of those kind of intangible skills you can't really teach a player, but that's, you know, all the very best kind of attacking players seem to possess. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned CJ Bart as well, and I'd I'd also got her in my notes. And we definitely, I think, missed her for a few games when yeah. she was out with injury. She's just, I think, another player with sort of X factor. Mm. You know, I said in the in the game against Bristol, I, I was amazed she didn't score. To be fair, she had a couple of shots. Um, I think they were on target. Yeah, but she just she just carries the ball forward, and also he's good defensively as well. Obviously, we were missing that sort of element from the fullback because while Janice came and plays at fullback, she doesn't really. She's not a dribbler. She doesn't really carry the ball forward. No. She prefers to, when we're in possession, make that pass and then invert and yeah. then get herself maybe into like a scoring position or just to sort of... Yeah, she, she's less of a sort of a driving, Faci- take yeah. players on kind of... She'll a, facilitate play, making the pass and then getting herself into position, but she doesn't really drive the ball forward. So it is feeling a lot more positive, I feel. And obviously we're, we're seventh at the moment, so we're behind Liverpool and Spurs. And I think going into the season... 
people may may have thought you know Liverpool and Spurs were more of a threat than than we are to the top mm. four, but I don't see that quite being the case anymore. And we'll get on to Liverpool and Spurs in a minute. Obviously, we beat Liverpool in the Conti Cup, which was the first match we went to see. First women's football match I've ever been to see. Um, so yeah, I think I, I just think things are looking really positive. I'm really excited to see where things go from here. And the only thing that I'm slightly worried about at the moment, which you know hopefully will be resolved relatively shortly, is the sort of attacking situation, particularly going into this weekend. If we haven't got O'Brien and we haven't got Rose, who's at the Gold Cup, Hannah Kane's out Hannah with Kane's an ACL injury as well. ACL. So so yeah. I'd, I'm just slightly concerned about that because we also don't have a centre forward really at the moment. I think Seamson's been back in training, but I don't know if Willie particularly trusts her. Like he doesn't, mm. he doesn't really start her. She sometimes comes on as a sub for Peterman, but obviously Peterman's got an injury at the moment. So, but I think equally not having a proper and in inverted commas centre forward for the last couple of games, I think as we spoke about Rachel Daly and, and Aston Villa last week, and maybe having her missing has sort of stopped them trying to facilitate her quite yeah. as much. So they were able to find other uh, you know, outlets for attacking play. So I feel like we've had that a little bit as well. Yes, absolutely. Because I feel like particularly when we we saw them play Derby in the FA Cup and this was we noticed this was an issue and then it was compounded in the Villa game, is that Peterman, because she's tall and strong, was dropping deep like a bunny shore would to sort of defend and try and win the ball in midfield. Yeah. But then the problem that you've got is Peterman is not quick and she's also not as good of a dribbler of the ball as Bunny Shaw is. So even if she was winning the ball in midfield or we were winning the ball in midfield, she would not be able to get into that back into a good attacking position quick enough. A lot of chances were getting lost because we just didn't have that focal point in the box or, you know, in the right place because obviously the wingers are really quick. They're bombing forward, but she's been she's dropped back, so she's not getting forward quick enough. So I feel like not having that has sort of opened up another option and, and, and more ways and to maybe be slightly less direct. But as a result, you're creating better chances. Yeah, I'd say so. I think you know they, there's there's a lot of interchanging of positions. We like like Charlie said, we've got Whelan up front at the moment, who is a attacking midfielder by trade. So if she has to drop deep or if she's pressing, then, you know, Rantala can fit in there, Mamiki can fit in there. There's loads of options, basically. And I think that's certainly against Bristol. I, I just think there were times when they were trying to play a very rigid, disciplined, low block. But players were, were kind of trying to think, right, I'm I'm marking Mamiki, say. And then suddenly they'd be like, well, she's, she's in her own defensive half here picking the ball up deep who am I meant to be picking up and then it was you know they were getting overwhelmed basically so to move on because we could probably <laughs> for quite some time it, things are hopefully looking positive hopefully you know this O'Brien situation <laughs> won't impact us too much and I think we were hopeful when we were talking yesterday about about the Chelsea game on Sunday that we might be able to there might be a chance obviously Chelsea are Chelsea they, they seem to always find a way but they have been struggling recently with a few bits and bobs. So we spoke about some ways that we might be able to beat them. Whether that will be impacted if we don't have Shannon O'Brien, I don't know. But yeah, I, you know, I watch the, the, the watch this space. Uh, and I think if we don't, even if we don't beat Chelsea, I'm, I'm not going to be absolutely devastated by that. No, we should we should be beating the other bottom of the table teams. I think with the quali- with the quality and the yeah. and the sort of. The form that we're in at the moment, I think we should be going into the rest of the season looking to win every game outside of the top four. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, the future's the future's looking bright. They've they've made some you know there's there's clearly investment in the club to make these signings, but then 
They also signed a, a couple of other players just to just to bolster the ranks as well. Uh, got quite a few young players coming through. So yeah, it I've, it feels like there's a real a real project underway. The team has a real identity. They're clear on how they're playing. Spoiler alert, but some well one of the teams we're going to talk about this episode. I kind of feels like they they. You know, Leicester have everything that they don't have really in terms of direction and purpose. So yeah, I think the future's bright. The future's Leicester. The future's Foxes. Does anyone remember that bloody advert from Orange? Is anyone on the, listening to this podcast younger, uh-huh. older than us, or the same age as us, and remembers that advert? Anyway, right. So we talk about uh, Liverpool. Liverpool. I'm so sorry to the people of Liverpool. <laughs> that that just that just came out. Something something something, something. clicked. <laughs> Something inner... exited my body. I'm sorry. Look like Silla Black. Yeah, Liverpool. So I, you know, they they are obviously fifth at the moment. They are probably the team that everyone is now looking at. Kind of like they looked at Villa last season to be the sort of the can they break into the top four next year? I think they're they're really interesting in the sense that they're almost the anti Leicester in terms of how a non top four team can try and play. And that's not a criticism or anything like that. It's just that Leicester have got this really, you know high intensity pressing style whereas Liverpool have gone for a really very very kind of I guess you call it like a foundational approach where you can tell by watching them but also looking at the stats they are just focused on doing the fundamentals absolutely as best as they can so they you know they they just really try and keep it tight they build off a rock solid defence I mean in terms of XG kind of going forward I think they've got the fourth worst in the league so they, they, they don't do much in terms of attacking. They've only scored one more goal than Bristol City have all season. Obviously, Bristol City are rock bottom of the league. But outside of the top four, they've got the, the best defence in, in terms of both goals conceded and expected goals conceded um, by quite a distance. They've just got a really, really solid defence. They're, they're really good at recovering uh, loose balls. So, yeah, there's none. Again, you, you kind of touched on that. That Leicester-Arsenal match, there were a couple of instances where it felt like Leicester were kind of missing a player to to really just take charge and, and win that second ball, which is kind of what, you know, all any any kind of long-in-the-tooth manager will say, you know, we, we've got to win that second ball, we've got to win those battles, and Liverpool do it. You know, they're, they're, there's nothing too varied going on elsewhere. They're, you know, they're generally pretty middle of the pack in terms of how they press, how they attack. Uh, the, the sort of the channels they take their passing style it's all pretty there's nothing in there that really jumps out to you and think oh that's that's you know they've got a real attack attacking identity but off the ball out of possession they're just so rigid and solid and I think that's a testament to uh to Matt Beard's coaching and they also I think they I did notice I think in terms of the the fouls they've committed, I think they've only committed the seventh most out of the WSL, so, you know, pretty good. They don't give that many fouls away, but they have received the most yellow cards, which I think kind of just goes to show they, they've kind of, they've mastered that, that the sort of the dark arts in that they're, they're quite disciplined, but they know when they need to make a foul and take a booking, they do it. So, yeah, I, I you know, again, I, I think they do they have the quality and potentially the investment to, to push into that top four? I'm Certainly, I think at the moment, I don't think the squad's quite there. But 
you know, in, in Matt Beard, I think they've got a really good coach. I think he can, I, I'd certainly be happy for him to be uh, the manager of, of the club I supported and taking them on. So it'll be interesting to see how they evolve. It's interesting that you say that about the squad and the quality because, I mean, like 10 years ago, it was complete opposite. They were top of the WSL, so they, they won the 2012-2013 season and the 2013-14 season. They were absolutely flying. And then Matt Beard left in 2015 and it all went downhill. So they, they never really properly replaced him. They were overlooked in terms of investment because the men's team were building the £50 million facility at Kirkby. Mm-hmm. So it all just went to shit for a little <laughs> while, I think, for want of a better expression. But, you know, you saying about the squad and the quality, around sort of that period of time after Matt Beard left, Lucy Bronze left, Alex Greenwood left, Ashawala left, Caroline Weir left, so that... That's that real quality that you're talking yeah. about in the squad. So they left and then they got relegated in 2020. And then Matt Beard came back and lo and behold, they were promoted back to the WSL in 2022. So I think, I I feel like if they keep going as they're going, and they've like I said, they've got a, a very solid foundation in terms of they've got a good coach, they've got a good system, and yeah. it seems to work because they do, they do get results even if they yep. don't score a lot of goals. Absolutely. They're not like an Arsenal where they're just trying to outscore you by having seven attacking players on the field and no one else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they've got, you know, I feel like they've got some promising young talent in the squad as well as some experience. They've got a good balance. So they've got like Missy Bo Kearns and Grace Fisk, for example. Uh, they've, they've, Like I said, they've, they're pulling off these consistent performances. They've got some good results. They've beat Arsenal. They've beat Man United. And I feel like if they continue on this path into next season, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, what they do in the summer. If they can maybe attract a couple of like stars, I guess, yeah, and blend that with their with their youth, yeah. younger talent, and some of the sort of more experienced players. So like I was looking, so that that two thousand and twelve thirteen winning season, Gemma Bonner was in that that team as was Rachel Laws. So they've got some you know, proper ex- league winning experience, yeah, league winning experience. But like obviously the, they've got to look to the future as well. But they're still both good players. Yep. I'm not saying that. So I feel like, obviously, the name Liverpool, people want to go and play there. Yeah. The, I think the facilities that they've got, they've got the, their own, like, you know, really state-of-the-art facility at Melwood now, which was the men's yes. training facility, which they used to share with the women. And then they went to Kirkby, and then the women have got Melwood back, and they've made it into this, like, great facility now. So I feel like players will want to come and play there. Uh, so, yeah, if they can, I think, if they can attract some more star talent... Some really good players. I'm not saying they don't have really good players, but you know those those yeah. ones that are like really really good, like your City, Chelsea, and your yeah. Arsenal have got and I, Man United. I mean, I think if I was a if I was Matt Beard, I would be looking at that direction. You know, you think you you've got something good going with the defense, like like you said, they don't score a huge number of goals. But for me, to to kind of go back to the analogy I used in the last episode, where you've kind of got the old old school kind of high thigh with the the slider. It, you can you can boil most tactics down to is it going to benefit the defense or is it going to benefit the attack and it whatever you do it comes at the detriment of the other and I think you know they you know Leicester's like we said is is quite geared towards the attack side but it comes it does come at the cost of occasionally losing six two to Arsenal and conceding six goals in one half but then Liverpool. Have, have decided to go to to start from the other direction have that slider towards the defensive side. And now it's about well, how do you you know balance that and and make sure you you are scoring enough goals? And like you say, if they could if they can bring in a couple of kind of X factor attackers who are able just to 
but by which I mean factors, uh, attackers who've got the X factor, not people who've previously been on the X factor. If they can bring that kind of player in who can just kind of conjure something out of nothing, then that that's a potentially a really potent mix. And obviously they've got players like, like you say, Missy Vokerns, who's still very young, still developing, could potentially, you know, become that sort of, you know, in a couple of years, she could be that sort of Chloe Kelly level player, potentially. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go next season if they can really yeah if they can push on they can really disrupt that top four so i just think like i I agree with you matt beard's a really good really good coach really good manager and just think sounds harsh but if he had a bit more of the sort of star quality that those top four teams have got what they could achieve with that sort of Mm, tactical nerfs like i think that would be interesting to see but yeah so yeah, I certainly think with, with with Matt Beard, I think I feel like it's a case that he is making that team more than the sum of their parts. Whereas, as we've discussed previously, I think there are managers in the top four, naming no names, but that are potentially not delivering. You know that they, they have this incredible squad of players and possibly aren't quite delivering the the level of results that they should be with that that group of players. Is this manager from Birmingham? One of them is. Is the other one from Sweden? Maybe. I mean, I'm who not... could it possibly be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, leave that to the listeners to deduce. Figure it out. Answers on a postcard. That's such an old school question. We are ancient. High fives. Answers on a postcard. Oh, God. God. Honestly, we need to say some cool shit. What can we say? We're going to vibe check the dank memes of Spurs in a second. So yeah, that's that's Liverpool. I think positives going on at Liverpool, positives going on at Leicester. So now we go to Spurs and West Ham, where I feel like things are slightly less positive. But you yeah. might tell me otherwise. So I, I find Spurs a really interesting. I, I think I've said this about every single club, basically, apart from maybe Everton. But Spurs are a really interesting. Shade, one. Shade on Everton. <laughs> Shout out Everton having their uh, Premier League points uh, deduction reduced today. Congrats, Everton. Well done. But yeah, yeah, so I think Spurs are very interesting in the sense that I think a lot of, you know, there seems to be a lot of kind of outsider impressions, and I'm not suggesting we're WSL insiders or anything like that, but there seems to be the sense that a lot of people really rate Spurs, and I don't know if it's because of the name, I don't know if it's because they, they won the North London derby just before the the winter break, but I, I've just, I, I've never, just watching them before, you know, started diving in on the stats or anything like that I've never been hugely impressed or convinced by them so yeah I, I when I started looking into it basically one of the one of the outstanding stats that kind of jumped out straight away is that after Man City no team has had more successful take on effectively dribbles than Spurs have and in terms of the the number they've attempted versus the number they've succeeded on they have the best success rate um, now, of those, I think it's about 160 over the course of the season in the league they've managed so far. And Grace Clinton has been responsible for more than a third of those. And then um, Bizet, I think, is the third best in the league and has also contributed a good chunk. Of the um, shot-creating actions they've had over the course of the season, no team has a pro- higher proportion of those have, have come from a take-on, which, again, it just speaks that they love dribbling and taking players on. And then a relatively low proportion of their chances have come from passing, uh, which is, I think, what a lot of people would probably actually associate the team with if, if they just asked, like, oh, you know, it's it's bright, it's attacking football. You know, I've got down here Leicester, Villa, Brighton, West Ham, Chelsea, City, 
and Arsenal have all generated more chances through passing than Spurs have. Basically, Spurs really, really rely on, on dribbling effectively. So there's nothing wrong with that. I think what that speaks to is a system that's built around specific players and you've, you've got a system where effectively you are giving a few players really licence to do what they want and you know in modern football a lot of teams really value possession and will say if, if unless you can really progress the ball or create a high probability chance, don't do it, recycle possession start again, build up again, go from there. And what I think Spurs are doing is effectively saying, here's some players that are going to, you know, mind the shop, get the ball to Grace Clinton, get the ball to Bizet, and let them kind of do what they want. And if you lose the ball, you lose the ball. Go from there, basically. So, like I said, there's nothing technically wrong with that. It's quite rare nowadays, mainly because the issue is, if you start to build around one or two players, if they leave or get injured or they lose form, then suddenly you're a bit stuffed. And I think the, the example I, I, I said to you the other day was when Jack Grealish was playing for Aston Villa, they, they kind of got promoted back to the Premier League with a system that was basically 10 players, including the goalkeeper, all designed to effectively enable Grealish to just go absolutely nuts and, and just dribble and basically do what he wanted. And in all fairness to Villa, it worked. It worked great. And then they sold Grealish because the money, you know, the offer was too good. And they they basically, it all went wrong from there. And obviously they've now built up again. But it's a, it's a completely different coach, different system, everything like that. So, which brings me around to the obvious issue with what Spurs have done, in my opinion, is that Grace Clinton is on loan from Manchester United. So it's 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 not even like a kind of Grealish at Villa situation where you think, oh, you know, we have this incredible talent, we have to utilise it. I feel like Spurs, I, I honestly can't tell you what they're going to look like or how they're going to play next season. Because if they don't sign Grace Clinton, which I think is looking less and less likely as she's she's now made her Lionesses debut, I think Man United will be looking at it and thinking, well, even if we were to sell her, we don't really don't want to sell her to Spurs because they're chasing us down here a bit. Why would we make one of our chief rivals stronger? Yeah, I, I, I just I think there's a there's a big chance that Spurs sort of kind of regress because they lose this kind of, you know, extremely talented dribbler who can do things that, you know, most players cannot do. And yeah, I I just think it's it's an interesting situation. They they might evolve. They might you know they might they might have just said you know what we've got her for one season. Let's build a system around her, and then we'll figure it out next year. But it doesn't compare to say like we said like Leicester or Liverpool. It doesn't feel like a hugely long term solution unless they are really planning on bending over backwards to make sure that Grace Clinton's a Spurs player going forward. So yeah, that that's the kind of interesting stuff I I picked up on the stats side. Yeah, um, I would also argue that they've done a similar thing in terms of building a system around a player for only for it to sort of be exposed when that player is not available and they've done that with Beth England Mm. so obviously Beth England went to Spurs in January of last year she scored 13 goals for them in about 13 games in about 13 games and I think I wrote down as, as well similar to what we were saying last week about Brighton and Elizabeth Turland it's slightly worrying that they've only scored 13 that they've only scored 13 goals this season and she scored nine of them. Yes. Beth England scored those 13 goals in 13 games last year and they still only finished ninth. Yeah. So that's worrying. But then obviously Beth England was injured. She went to the World Cup and played on an injury that she shouldn't have been playing on. 
since she wasn't available for the first part of the season. And I think arguably still doesn't look anywhere near the player. She, I mean, we, no. she's not scored in the league this season. She's not obviously played a huge amount, but she, she, to my eye anyway, she just doesn't look anywhere near the player she was pre-injury. So Spurs have brought in Martha Thomas. So I don't know at what point she came in, whether it was before they knew about the Beth England injury or what, but I feel like they've brought in Martha Thomas and Martha Thomas was red hot at the start mm. of the season. And then Beth England's come back. And I feel like they've almost tried to accommodate yep. both of them together. So they're playing this sort of 4-4-2 yep. with school. Martha Thomas and Beth England up front. And whenever I've watched them, they just seem to be getting each other's way. They don't complement each other's skill set. No. So they're not linking up play. They're not. It's not like, oh, there's you know, back and forth between them. You know, one, two, you know, that sort of thing. They're just getting in each other's way because of the same player, basically. Yeah. So I suppose that's not really building a system around a player, but it's sort of, they've got, they had a player and it, and they had a system with that player that worked really well. And they've now thought, well, if that system with that one player worked really well, what about if we had that system, but with two players? Yeah, it almost <laughs> feels like, like they... It doesn't really work like that. Yeah, and it, it almost feels like, it was like, well... It worked with England last year. It worked with Thomas at the start of this season. So let's do it with England and Thomas. But that's mm-hmm. a bit like saying, well, we, we didn't concede many goals with this goalkeeper. We didn't concede many goals with that goalkeeper. Let's play two goalkeepers. But they've, I think they've also... I haven't looked at the stats because I, I was focusing... Because I feel like with Spurs, they've got a lot of attacking quality, but for some reason they don't seem to be able to make the best of it. No, no. Other than Grace Clinton, which, Matt, don't talk about Grace Clinton for an episode challenge. But I think, I, no, sorry, but yeah. sorry to cut in, I, I think that is a really interesting point that you say, you know, they, they have this attacking talent but don't seem to be able to make the use of it. I do feel like that's another kind of reason why a lot of teams have transitioned away from a, oh, we've got one really talented player, let's build an entire team about them and, you know, make them the focal point. Because the problem is, you know, sometimes that player can score 20 goals and, and just carry the team on their shoulders, but it does generally come at, um, to the detriment of everyone else. Everyone else is basically there to facilitate them and like you say it kind of feels like Spurs have got that attacking talent but it, you very rarely watch them and think oh they're going to blow a team away here or anything like that yeah that's another thing that we've potentially overlooked and I've overlooked because I was I was focusing on the attacking side but they, I feel like they do have a goalkeeping issue as well because they had Becky Spencer they dropped Becky Spencer after that 7-0 debacle mm-hmm. against City where she did make a couple of errors I think Votikova had an absolutely incredible game in the North London derby yeah which was her debut right yes I believe so and then since then has looked a bit dodgy yeah so it that's an issue so it's not looking particularly sunny at Spurs. No, I and as you say that I think they're three points ahead of Leicester at the moment. They and like I say, I feel like a lot of people would just say, "Oh, Spurs, yeah, good team, evolving, developing, looking really good." But I'm I'm less convinced. What's I, the plan, guys? Yeah, you can't keep just playing two people up front and who are just getting in each other's way and you, relying what's... on a lone player. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see what happens there because I, I do th- I think you know decent decent coach in Wilhelm and I think you know that they, they have the talent there to build a good team I don't think they'll be you know in danger of relegation or anything next season but I'm not as clear as I am with with Leicester and Liverpool what the, what the plan going forward is same seems a bit all over the shop yeah, one minute you're getting absolutely steamrolled by Man City 7-0 and then you're beating Arsenal in the North London derby. Like, there's no real consistency there in, mm. in terms of performance and, like I say, what the, what the tactics are, what the system is. It's confusing. Yeah. It's confusing. Speaking of which, West Ham. 
Yeah. I mean, I think of, of all the teams I've looked at, again, other than maybe Everton, no offence, Everton. Yeah, West Ham, they're just kind of the story you get from the stats and I, I'd say the story you get from watching them generally as well is they're just they're just quite unremarkable I, there's very little you can really say about in terms of identity in terms of what they try and do in or out of possession basically there's, there's a lot of stats where they're the third worst team in the league basically after um after Bristol City and Brighton they've they average 43 uh, percent possession third worst in the league they hit the third most long passes of any team but they're eighth in terms of how many of those long passes they complete so they play a lot of long balls but they're not particularly good at it really it's not like a sort of a, a real concerted hit a target man and, and build from their kind of approach you know they've got the i think there's second most direct attacking sequences which is similar basically most of their attacks come from long balls second fewest 10 plus pass attacking sequences again there's not really much in the way of build up or intricacy it all feels pretty pretty basic without obviously kind of Liverpool's approach where they do the basics really well and you know it gets them to where they've got them West Ham feels like they're trying to do the basics and not much else and they're not particularly good at the basics I mean the the only thing I would say is that I think no team other than I think perhaps Bristol City have a bigger margin between the expected goals conceded and the actual number of goals of goals they've conceded basically they've conceded way more goals than they probably should have which is down to both a combination of luck and someone who I think you're about to mention in a minute I mean if you went off just expected goals and expected goals against they've got the fifth best record in the league but actual goal difference they're again third from bottom and yeah like I I won't I don't want to step on your toes on the player side but it all felt in January you know again don't want to just be banging on about Leicester all the time but Leicester bought you know in some younger players and, and players who've slotted right in and it feels it feels really good and these these feel like players who are going to stick around for at least a couple of years and they're going to be they're going to be a big part of, of what Leicester try and do moving forward whereas West Ham it felt like their entire transfer policy was like shit are we about to get relegated you know, you know let's let's buy some fairly experienced players and, and just hope they can kind of bail us out with some individual pieces of quality and to be fair I think with with Gori she's worked out I think she looks good but it's again not hugely inspiring a little bit kind of mystifying about what the plan is going forward completely agree and I've, I've written down the same thing about Gori I think she's been a good signing for them you can tell her quality yeah sort of tenacity she's a She's a real shit, which I like. Yes. She's not afraid to, to get into people. No, she's the uh, sort of player you'd much rather be playing with than against, I yeah. think. And she's got that sort of, you know, attacking quality as well. But she's 31 at the end of the day. And like you say, what what's the plan? What's the long-term plan with bringing her in, really? Like I say, it feels very much like putting a, a sticking plaster over. Mm-hmm. A big old leak. <laughs> and then obviously they've brought in Christy Mewis as well, uh, who's 33. Yeah. ancient she's well she's fun fact she's in the nether zone between my age and and yours so she is younger than you but older than me so i can say oh yeah she's past it she's way over the hill so depressing uh yeah she's she seems a bit injury but like she came yeah. in and she couldn't play because she was injured i mean they brought her on the last time i remember seeing her play was in that game and it was 
versus the wind. Spurs, Spurs and West Ham versus wind, yeah. the wind. And she looked pretty solid. <laughs> she looked good, like yeah. Set pieces and stuff as well, she was good. But other than that, I don't really know. Again, she's 33, what's the plan? Yeah. I don't know, were you hoping the whole Sam Kerr thing was going to sell tickets, which has, not, again, not panned out because Sam Kerr's done her AC Allen isn't playing? Yeah. I don't know. Could so. have been a gambit to try and get Kerr to join West Ham. We don't know. But even then, that's not worked out because she's signed a contract extension, hasn't she, Kerr? Exactly. Now, so. And then, as you mentioned, the sort of conceding goals issue. Mackenzie Arnold, obviously the keeper, Australian keeper, had a great World Cup. That one game, was it against France? Penalty shoot yes. against France? Yeah, she yeah, had yeah. an absolute game of her life. And I feel that was the game of her life because... The rest of her had... life... <laughs> She's had a largely disastrous season. I'm, I'm sorry if you're a, if you're, if you're a Matildas fan and you're, if you're a West Ham fan, but she has had a largely disastrous season, and I think she's literally the worst keeper in the WSL by by the stats. By yeah, by post shot xG. And... Post shot xG, which we talked about at length last week. <laughs> uh, hers is minus four point three. So essentially, she's conceded four more goals than she should have done. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. So, which is, like I say, the worst in the WSL. So, sorry, that seems to be an issue. Uh, but as we mentioned, like, what's the plan? What's the identity? And uh, another thing which I wanted to talk about, which I've got a real bee in my bonnet about, mm. it's just really interesting to me that obviously Karen Brady is vice chairman of West Ham mm-hmm. Football Club, the whole thing. And she's also was appointed last March as director of women's football, which I didn't, I didn't know. Uh, I can't remember how I found out, but I basically I found a column that she wrote, her column in The Sun, which, again, is in The Sun, so we don't expect it to be particularly insightful. But she wrote a bit about the Lionesses, obviously, last summer and sort of talked about the women's game in that context. But for me, it was just like reading it. And again, it's in The Sun. I'm not expecting it to be particularly sort of in-depth and insightful mm-hmm. and, and to get too much insight into her sort of business philosophy or you know strategy around women's football at West Ham but it just felt a lot to me like she was paying lip service yeah and not really saying anything and just like oh women should be allowed to play football too it's a women's game it's it's it's, it's on par with the men's game it's like yeah but what what do you mean like what are you what do you mean like <laughs> essentially I just feel like West Ham have as per a graphic I saw that I found on Reddit and I'm sorry I'll, I'll try and give credit in in the description or something to this person whose graphic I saw on Reddit because I can't remember at the moment. But according to a graphic I saw on Reddit, as of like game week 10, West Ham had the worst average attendance, mm-hmm. which explains why they don't probably play at the London Stadium at all. They haven't played there since 2019. There's no plans to play there this season. So my question is like, what what are you doing? Like, what yeah. are you, if you're director of women's football, Karen Brady, who is this like, you know, seemingly spokesperson for women in business everywhere and women in football what what are you directing what are you doing like why aren't you banging the drum of women's football why aren't you doing more to grow the women's team why don't they have a direction an identity a strategy why don't they have more investment why mm-hmm. don't they play at the london stadium why do they play at chigwell construction stadium it's just i've just got a real beer in my bonnet about it i just think like, and then like in both of the columns that she wrote about the lionesses she was banging on about how women's football was really fast growing but not profitable and she said something about like west ham have made losses of over a million pound a year on their women's team I'm like, oh my god a million pounds yeah how will you ever find that money, West Ham? If like, only you whoa. could sell one of your players in the summer um, for a hundred million quid. Yeah, if, if if only you could, like I say, if only you could sell one of your players on the men's team and make a shitload of money and invest that somewhere. Because you're also vice chairman of the club, so you could pretty much do whatever you, you know. Yeah. 
you've got the sway to sort of say, well, I'll take some of that money for the for the women's team. She, like, like I said, I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm making, maybe I'm making a judgment, but she doesn't seem to have been very publicly, considering she's got a lot of sort of, she's got an audience, she's got a platform. Mm-hmm. She doesn't seem to have used it to say anything particularly useful about the women's game. Like I said, she was, for me, largely paying lip service yeah. in this column. As I say, comes with a caveat, it was in the sun. It's not like a thought piece. But for me as well, it was just like, one of the things that was quite telling was, there was just like errors in the, in, in the column that were like pretty glaring. So as part of one of the World Cup ones, she mentioned the players playing overseas. And she said that like Rachel Daly was one of the players playing overseas. And I was like, well, no, because of, as of <laughs> August 2023, Rachel Daly was back at Villa and had been the top scorer in the WSL. Yeah, quite notably. It that season so i feel like if you're director of women's football at a wsl club you should probably know that sort of thing yeah i or like it or like at least check it before you like yeah like i said maybe i'm being a little bit harsh but i I feel like i I remember like reading her i didn't finish it (laughs) but i did read her book briefly many years ago and i feel she talked about when she first went to blues she was like 23 and she was managing director of blues and i think she um she put maybe you can speak more about this you might know but she put something in place that really boosted attendance do you know anything about that well i mean i know i know they've had to spend the last the last couple of years with the stadium half shut because it was literally crumbling so i don't know what specific scheme you're referring to but i would suggest that perhaps again very much like the <laughs> christy mewis of stadium attendance plans it was a sticking plaster because now the stadium is having to be like rebuilt foundationally no i just i like i said i i don't have anything particularly concrete neither do blues no <laughs> neither does st andrews <laughs> i don't have anything particularly concrete to base this on but i, I just feel like i couldn't find a if you Google Karen Brady, director of women's football West Ham, all it comes all that comes up is the article. The articles where they announced that like, they'd made that change, a change, and then she doesn't seem to even tweet about the women's mm. team. Does she go to the? I can't imagine she's going to the Buddy Chigwell Construction Stadium. On a she's Sunday. not a big big fan of pot noodles. I don't know. I I agree. I I think I think you know again. I don't want to kind of cast dispersions, and we don't know fully what's going on in the background other than what we can sort of see on the pitch, which is, you know, a team that feels a little bit underfunded and a bit kind of unloved, like you say, not, you know, while, you know, Leicester and Bristol City playing at home every match, uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, obviously kind of having big games in the men's stadium and stuff like that. It just feels like, it feels like West Ham should really be a, a slam dunk for, for everyone involved because you've got Karen Brady who like you say, has has made such a brand for herself being this woman in business and this woman in football business specifically, where it's it's and and so much of about what she kind of talks about is, you know, female empowerment and, you know, how, how women can do just as much as men in the business sphere. And that's obviously it's all fantastic stuff. But it just feels like, yeah, and you're running one of the twelve women Super League teams. This should be you should be absolutely running you know, we, we should be on this podcast saying, I'm so sick of hearing about Karen Brady every five seconds and the fact she's all over the media and doing all this punditry and stuff like that but like I say it, it just kind of feels like she's not that the, the only time she she really pipes up about it is to say oh well we're not making any money and it kind of feels like yeah if if, if you're such a, a champion for women's football here that that just feels so it feels very mealy mouth to me and it just feels like really you should be saying you know what it, it loses a bit of money who cares? You know, we're making this much money on the men's side. I mean, not to get on my soapbox about West Ham, but they obviously play at the Olympic Stadium, which they've they got this 
you know the tax the the taxpayers funded the building of that stadium. West Ham then got this incredible lease deal for about a hundred years. Basically, ended up with a state of the art stadium for you know a fraction of what all you know other clubs are having to play. And you, again, not to bang the Everton FFP drum again, but Everton are kind of in the process of apparently almost bankrupting themselves to build their stadium, whereas West Ham have kind of been handed it on a silver platter. You just feel like and you know their their mainstays in the Premier League, like we said, they they've got this you know pretty good track record of selling players on like Declan Rice. It kind of just feels like you know why are you why are you misering over a million quid a year you know if if you were losing five million you know if you're worried about that you're you're going to be seriously upset when you look at some of the players that West Ham have dropped 10 20 30 million quid on on the men's side in the last few years that have then gone on to do nothing and you've sold for a loss and that kind of thing like it it just feels like it feels like an approach for someone who doesn't really want to have a women's team which just doesn't chime with the fact that Karen Brady is also this, you know, supposedly in her in her own words, this big champion of of women's football. It it just it all feels a bit discordant and, and a bit strange. Absolutely. And as I say, it was a column in the sun about, you know, during the hype all the hype of the World Cup and the Lionesses and it was, you know, maybe a throwaway comment if you can make a throwaway comment that you've written down and has presumably been proofread and edited about them losing money. But like you say, it does sort of feel like if you're saying in one breath oh the women's game is really growing it's really exciting women should be given all the opportunities that, that men get in the in, in football and then you're also saying but i'm looking you know you're essentially saying i'm looking at a balance sheet and it's not profitable yes then you're almost stepping on your own point yeah and while you were talking sorry i was listening very intently but i also found an article from 2009 so take it with a pinch of salt but about what i was talking about um, she won plaudits for a series of marketing promotions that helped boost attendances at St Andrews from lows of around 6,000 up to 30,000. Without wanting to, again, without, we, don't, we don't have all the facts in front of us, but I would say that I imagine 2009, that time period coincided quite nicely with Birmingham getting several promotions and ending up in the Premier League. So going from a, a sort of lower championship level crowd to a Premier League crowd, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there were some great initiatives no, 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 that no, went no. into that. No, no, that was when she joined. When she joined as managing director, not this was like around the sort of when she first joined as managing director. That wasn't in 2009. Yeah, but so we've just had an argument um, off mic about the sort of legitimacy of that article and, and whether actually the attendance numbers because they were promoted to the Premier League. So maybe she's spun that herself. But the point that I was trying to make is I haven't made that up. I've read that somewhere about the attendance numbers. Yes. So whether that's her spinning that, I mean, fair play to her. It's worked. She's got herself a chairman, vice chairmanship and director of women's football at West Ham and whatever else she's got off the back of doing that at Blues or whatever she did or didn't do at Blues. So, yeah, the point still stands. Clearly she was doing something at Blues. I don't know. She's got to where she is now with some sort of savvy. She seems to be quite good at marketing. So why isn't she using that to yeah, help West Ham women think, more than she is seemingly at the moment? Is regard, the point that we're trying to make? Yeah, regardless of picking over her, you know, her business achievements, it feels like again for someone who is is who is a you know a bit of a self promoter. I think you know you you don't become a judge on The Apprentice and all that kind of stuff without wanting to to get yourself out there as a sort of a business guru kind of thing. It does sort of feel like well again you have a absolute you're you're this figure of you know, women in football and women in business, you are running a women's football club, is an absolute just no-brainer opportunity for you here. Let's, you know, go for it. Let's see see what you're what you're able to do, what what marketing genius you're able to spin here. 
and yet West Ham are you know struggling to draw a thousand people to the Chigwell Construction Stadium and kind of doing a little bit of clinging on at the bottom of the league to 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 remain in WSL. It doesn't doesn't feel like it it particularly chimes with with what the kind of the messages elsewhere are. Very well summarised and yeah. Like you said earlier, it sort of just smacks of someone who doesn't actually want a women's team. And it's just sort of looking at the balance sheet and saying, look, we're losing money. I can't be bothered to invest in it. The men's team's doing really well. Why are we bothering with this sort of mm. thing? It's like a drain on resources. Could be wrong, but let's stop arguing about Karen Brady now. She's had more than enough airtime on this podcast. So, yeah, that's um, that's the other eight. That's the end. That's the end of that one. We'll do this again in two weeks after another couple of fixtures. After just everything's go. changed. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's lost their minds. Arsenal have descended into chaos again, and yeah. Maybe next season we'll have a different team to. Well, we'll definitely have one different team because someone's going to get relegated. But we could have maybe maybe Manu will be in the other eight, and we'll be like, we're not going to be talking about Leicester this week because. (laughs) Sick of talking about Leicester. We can but dream. We can but dream. That'd be a nice problem to have. I mean, we've we've once again sort of massively overran on our time and probably don't really have that much time for our regular segment, but I suppose we could talk about... Should we wrap it up there, but we'll we'll do a a quick gasp shout-out? Yeah, Do you want to return to your earlier shady gasp shout-out that you mentioned at the start of the podcast? No, no. I think, to be fair, I think Manuela Zinsberger got enough shade off Ian Wright uh, on the manageable coverage of the match. And also from me last week, so... Yes, I will. I will just give a shout out to Grace Clinton because uh, why not? I'm on my soapbox. Oh God! Shut up about Grace Clinton. She, it's the future of the England team. You know, as far as I'm concerned, we don't need Mary Earps anymore. We've got Grace Clinton. She she's going to be the one driving the team forward. We don't really need goalkeepers when you've got someone who's that good at dribbling. Yeah, scored a first goal. Happy days. Good for you. No, it was it was a good debut. It was a great goal, and yeah, there was some there was some great goals in that game. But again, not to shit on her too much but she didn't she didn't really help herself Manu um, it's sort of compounding the issues that she's had recently which probably sort of hoped that Jonas wasn't watching but yeah so I mine's not not that obscure but it's a little bit obscure because I don't know whether a lot of our listeners will have seen this but I put the Canada versus Paraguay game on briefly last night in the goal the gold cup because we have we have skin in that game because our uh, our star winger one of our star wingers whoa, I'm so sorry. Whoa, one of our whoa, star whoa. wingers Deanne Rose is Canadian and she was starting so I wanted to to see what she was up to uh, so I put that on watched that for a little bit um, and Adriana Leon who ended up scoring a hat trick had a great game uh, she just scored an incredible volley just I just wanted to show that because it was it was a great volley and after much deliberation with absolutely no guidance on what on earth was going on from the commentary at all it was ruled offside on the field and then VAR reviewed it and it wasn't offside because it deflected off a Paraguay player so it can be officially a gasp it's gasped it has gasped because it was not offside it stood and it was a great volley and if you haven't seen it google it google it on YouTube I don't think many people saw it because I think there was about five people there in the stadium there was about five people there yeah saw a second goal I don't think I saw a third goal but the second goal was good as well so she just had a great game, so well done, Adriella Leon. I think you're holding Villa together. Apparently so. Congrats. The, the next Rachel Daly, and it was played in Rachel Daly's former home stadium as well. She's so com- She's coming for your gig. It's all synergy. You notice I'm trying to throw in a couple of phrases now, trying to get... After we you're trying to about, make yourself feel After we younger. first talked about the, the future's bright, the future's orange, we've talked about hi-fi's and we've talked about answers on the postcard. I'm just trying to throw in some more sort of how you, you wanna, do, If you want to do the youth stuff, I can do the, you know, I can be like, well, there hasn't been a WSL match like this since 
1842, just go full old man. Yeah, well, um, we'll leave it there then this week. Are we sponsored by anyone this week? Ella Toon's Arrow Word. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy with that. That that if you if you're a big lionesses <laughs> fan and you're across all the social and stuff, that Arrow Word has been bloody. It's been the saga of the whole. The, the talk the whole of week. the camp. I can't concentrate on the Arrow Word. <laughs> yeah, so we'll as always uh, give us a follow on Spotify, rate us, and follow us on Twitter at Pod on Twitter or X as the kids call it these days. Mm. We post funny things and sometimes we get exclusives about injuries yeah we are the exclusive home for shannon o'brien's ankle injury updates we're mates with her dad now so yeah maybe follow us if you if you need updates about lesser injuries yeah so we'll see you next week thanks guys thanks a lot bye bye